Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things that you can buy that will actually help you become a better deer hunter, or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This reason is why I started saddle hunting in the first place, and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that tethered saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current course setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, and along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to tetherednation.com. If you're like me, you spend a lot of time pouring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times are to hunt. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery, all at my fingertips. I've had an opportunity to use the desktop version of Spartan Forge last year and recently the beta version of the iOS app, and it has replaced all of my other mapping tools. Head over to SpartanForgeAI.com to sign up today to get your place in line as the mobile app launches soon. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. Skull Brew Coffee roasts premium single-origin coffee guaranteeing to deliver the freshest coffee directly to your doorstep. The kicker? They're 2% for conservation certified and donate 10% of their proceeds back to organizations who support the interests of our hunting community. So go to SkullBrewCoffee.com and pick up one of their three killer roasts and fuel your hunt and fill more tags with Skull Brew Coffee. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 253. Today, I'm joined by my buddy, Jake Hofer, covering his favorite time of year, Scrape Week. So stay tuned. All right, all right, all right. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. It is here. The game has begun. It is, as I mentioned in the uh, intro from my buddy Jake Hofer, it is scrape week, which has quickly become one of my favorite weeks to hunt. I used to be more of a beginning of November guy, um, which I still love that time of time of year. You know, we we refer to it as sweet November for um, for a reason. But this week is that week where if you have some intel on a buck and he's been kind of frequenting some scrapes, so to speak, or you're in his in his wheelhouse, uh, maybe is one way to say it, 
knowing that and having that kind of annual data on scrapes this time of year and this week specifically, it can be a killer and go a long way to, to filling your tag. And so much so, I don't think I mentioned this on the last podcast because I, I, I put this together over the weekends and then I hunted uh, during the week a little bit. But I had similar intel, and my favorite time period is actually that kind of like 15th through the 20th. Uh, I really like that time period. Um, that's just been historically some places where I run cameras where I see the first kind of uh, daylight sighting of the bigger deer that are in the area, so to speak. doesn't necessarily always mean that the biggest deer hit that scrape or whatever the case is, but it's been consistent now that that, that window, and it happens different times in different places. There's one place, and Jake and I talk about it a little bit in this session, but it's around the 18th on one spot. And so I hunted, uh, the 18th and had an encounter with, there are two deer that were hitting this particular scrape over the course of, you know, fall, I guess late summer into early fall that were, you know, kind of told me that they were going to be around and that held true. And so that 18th kind of date, as long as I had the right wind, that was whenever I saw a flurry of kind of daylight activity, uh, you know, in, in years past. And so I made plans to be there and was there. And, uh, yeah, I ended up seeing four bucks. And uh, one was one of the shooters that I was wanting to try to get an arrow in. Had him at 20 yards um, and just could not get a shot off. So it's happened to me twice now this year to where I've had shooter bucks, you know, target bucks uh, within bow range and just couldn't just couldn't pull a shot off. This one came in, slipped in kind of quiet. I couldn't really see him real well at first. And so I was having a hard time kind of discerning which buck it was. And then by the time I realized which buck it was, I had had kind of run out of time in terms of getting drawn because he was passing the last little bit of cover. Uh, and, you know, shame on me. It's like I should have just I should have just drawn and, 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 and been ready. But I wasn't real sure. There's a couple different deer that have this have a similar kind of frame, I guess, if you will. One's you know, a, a, one's a, a big eight that kind of has uh, a, a non-symmetrical side. Another one's a really big eight that's kind of wide and just like perfectly symmetrical. And then there's another eight that looks exactly like that wide one. Only he's clearly younger and he has just shorter time length. And so I couldn't tell, I couldn't discern if it was him or if it was the longer time length eight. And it was, of course, the longer time length eight, uh, eight, eight point. So when he kind of crossed that last little bit of brush where I would have had an opportunity to shoot, he was actually head up on me as well. So even if I would have gotten drawn, probably not a good, um, probably not a high likelihood that I would have gotten a shot opportunity anyway, just by the way he was, the way he was positioned and kind of coming in. But there were some lessons learned on that hunt, uh, watching bucks kind of come in um, into that scrape because they kind of had me fooled based on camera intel because I wasn't running anything on video. And so how they were entering, where how I thought they were entering the scrape is not exactly how they were entering the scrape. So have to tweak my setup probably get one more hunt in there possibly this week um as i'll have the right wind unfortunately over the 30th 29th and 30th i think friday and saturday gonna have the complete wrong wind for that unfortunately so gonna try to get a hunt in in the middle of the week and capitalize on having the correct win but with that we're gonna go ahead and get moved into today's show two quick things for you before we jump in head over to skullbrewcoffee.com and pick yourself up some coffee don't suffer shitty coffee on your travel hunts we have cool killer pour over packs so you have Baller coffee in the mornings for your travel hunts. We also have regular coffee as well. You can use the promo code TFTS21. Save yourself some cash on that. And then head to truthfromthestand.com and go to the merch tab. Pick yourself up some dope truth merch. Again, TFTS21 promo code. Save yourself some cash on that as well. Have a killer show for you guys today. Have my good buddy Jake Hofer on. Jake is, of course, one of the owners um, of Exodus. He kind of handles all the marketing and, and, and sales, uh, over on the, over on the Exodus side of things. Uh, I've known Jake for a while. Jake is one of those guys. And I kind of mentioned in the podcast, I refer to as a, a quiet or unassuming killer. Um, the, he just seems to Chad and I kind of have a running joke to where it's like, if you need a big deer killed within our group of friends, within our crew, probably need to call Jake to do it. Cause it seems like every year you get into November, if it doesn't happen this week, his favorite time of year is scrape week. You get into November, and you can almost be certain you're going to get a text message with a slob that Jake has put on the ground. He's just kind of made a habit of it. And deer has been something that's been in his life uh, for forever. I, I, I'm hard-pressed to find a bigger deer nut uh, than Jake, and so I really just enjoyed this conversation. We also talk a little bit about 
the demonetization of YouTube, like the things that happened a couple weeks ago with with a couple YouTube channels that that scare we kind of talk about that a little bit. And then, of course, Jake's love for scrapes. Jake is one of those guys that, you know, I've always kind of appreciated scrapes. And it wasn't really until I started talking with Jake a lot at trade shows and stuff like that when I would go work at the Exodus booth or John Eberhart, where I really started understanding how to hunt them. Uh, and the time frames in which they uh, become can become a critical kind of strategy, or it can become kind kind of like the backbone of a strategy for for some really good hunts. So, with that, and also I'll just say annual data as well around scrapes. Like he is one of the guys that I kind of picked that up from and have paid close attention to, and it's been paying dividends where it's putting me in position to have some really good encounters the past the past couple of years. So, without further ado, we'll go ahead and get jumped into today's podcast. And as always, I want to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From a Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today, i got to say, man, um, admittedly, I'm a little embarrassed that it has taken me this long to have you on. I have my good buddy, Jake Hofer, from Exodus Outdoor Gear on the line with me. What's going on, brother? Uh, not too much. It's uh, I like these early morning podcasts because I'm fresh and undistracted. <laughs> so I, <laughs> thanks for having me on here. I'm, I'm really excited. I've listened to your podcast on and off for a really long time. And uh, I've learned a lot and got a lot of value from it. So hopefully uh, I can pass that forward. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> well, I'm sure I'm sure you will. And I appreciate that, man. It's like you're you're all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed ready to go. I got up, got a workout in it. I'm still literally sweating from the workout. Like I grabbed a shower, yep. but like I haven't haven't kind of wore <laughs> off like the post-workout sweat yet. So yep. if I look uh if I look moist on this end, that's <laughs> that's why. And that's a gross word too, moist. It's just some people, yeah, some people do not like that. No, it's, uh, it, I think it's, it's held in high regard for certain things. I think looking at a friend is maybe not one of those. You know? Hey, Clint, you're looking real moist. Over there. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I think we should probably pivot from that before we go down hard. to, yeah, hard pivot. But, uh, what have you been up to, man? I know you always stay super busy, you know, and I'm guessing, you know, the, uh, that hasn't changed for you. You always have your hands in a lot of different things. So, what have you been up to? Um, a lot of things, actually. I just actually finished up moving. Actually, today would be three weeks from when I just moved. So that always, I was over-optimistic of how little work that would actually take. And I was like, oh, we'll just move on a, uh, on an evening after work and that yeah. morning and we'll be, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, so I've been, uh, just got settled in here or starting to get settled in. I'm in the basement right now. I'm redoing my, uh, remodeling my office right now. That will be my office. And uh, scrape weeks rolling in Exodus is in full swing, uh, humming along. It's been an awesome year, uh, despite some of the logistics and supply chain issues that everyone's aware of, but, um, it's been really awesome to see the brand grow. I don't want to say mature cause we're still very young. This is our sixth year in business, but just from what year three to year six has happened, um, has me really excited for the future too. And then, um, real estate's been really busy as well. So it's just been honestly of uh, just a banner year, uh, up to this point. And I've, have so much to be thankful for nice yeah and hopefully you keep that ball rolling into the uh into the whitetail woods as as well you know i uh i hope so man it won't it won't be from lack of trying if it doesn't happen but right well i keep <laughs> i keep busting chad's chops you know i was like dude i was like you have to count on on, on cameron and jake to kill all the deer around there man <laughs> he's like i know he was like they're the, they're the killers dude they're the killers of the bunch you know and this like is- that's the thing like you're very unassuming man and like i've talked to him about that not on the podcast just like offline I was like, Jake is like one of the, one of the better hunters that I know. I was like, he gets it done consistently and you have a method, you know what I mean? It kind of sure. leads to that yeah. consistency, you know? Yeah. And like, we're definitely going to dive into that, but as like, he's always very unassuming. I was like, but he's that, that quiet lurker that's always just <laughs> picking up the information as people are talking. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, end of October shows up and Jake's got a slob on the ground. <laughs> I, yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I, I think I take a lot of the conversations for granted, like some of the people that we actually get to talk yeah. to and uh, run like personal scenarios by. And I think sometimes that complicates my thought process <laughs> yeah. in terms of, because you have like all these conflicting principles of like, what should I do? But it's been, uh, I've learned a lot in the last three or four years, which has me even more excited for, you know, the upcoming years and future as well. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. It's like, you have to get to a point to where you start to trim the fat a little bit. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of contextualize, you know, what's my method? What's my style that works for me? Yeah. What can I adopt? Cause there might be something you hear that's really, really smart. And you're like, Oh man, that's a really smart, really good idea. But mm-hmm. it might be one of those things where just my personality, like I don't have the patience to execute it, you know? Yeah. And so then therefore it's not a really good option for me because even though it, it will work under the right circumstances, 
I don't have the right makeup, you know, or the patience or whatever it is. It's like someone who, you know, wants to start beast hunting, but they don't want to go walk for miles to find sign or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, Yeah. it's a great principle. It's a great approach. Mm -hmm. But if, but if you're, if you're not a grinder type of person, it's probably not for you. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Whereas the person who is a grinder type person, you know, it, you know, running a bunch of trail cameras and relying on a bunch of, you know, annual data may not be the best approach for them. They, they could be successful if they could. Right. Mm-hmm. But their personality just may not allow them to be patient enough to, to do that, you know, and they, they get yeah. frustrated and don't enjoy it or whatever. That's the key thing. Yeah. I think you got to figure out what you actually enjoy and what's, it's all about longevity. What can you do and, you know, really enjoy? Otherwise yeah. you're going to start making, you know, poor decisions. Yeah. So with that, man, I know you're the first time, you're a first time offender on this podcast. So I always like to kind of just make sure everyone is aware of, you know, who the person is on the other end and what they do for a living. So if you wouldn't mind, just a little bit about you and, you know, what you do for a living in the the whitetail world. Yeah. Uh, My name is Jay Kofer. I'm from Illinois. Uh, One of the co-owners of Exodus handle a lot of the marketing for Exodus and Uh, brand direction and kind of oversee all the content. And then I'm also a licensed broker in the state of Illinois. So um, the two have kind of tandem together and I'm really super lucky to be able to do what I do for a living and uh, also thoroughly enjoy whitetails 365. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't, you know, and knowing you, man, it's like luck had, uh, I would say nothing to do with it. You're like one of the most prepared people I know. Um, and everything you do is very thoughtful. Uh, so the fact that you're having success, not just with Exodus, but outside of that is not, is not a big surprise, but what was the thing that kind of got you? I know the thing, like whenever I saw you were getting into the land stuff, like I wasn't surprised because mm-hmm. I was like, this is a natural kind of evolution. Like in my mind, I was like, he's already in the white tail world and you were even growing up, you know, to a little to, bit. Yeah. Yeah. To a degree. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and so then, and then the Exodus thing happens, you know, and, and, and you're very familiar with the area that you live for a bunch of mm-hmm. reasons. One is, you know, cause you, you've grown up there, but yep. two, like you're just very aware of the habitat, the surroundings and like what the neighborhood looks like whenever you're yeah. hunting, like that's a big thing for you. It's not just like the micro of the property. It's the macro of like what else is going on around me. And that's how you would approach hunting. And so whenever I saw you were getting into land, I was like, that's not a far stretch. I was like, cause the dude actually is on point with basically everything that's around him already. And who better to sell, you know, yeah. or sell or buy from than, than yeah. a person like that who really has their, their paws on things. So how, what was that like getting into that? What was the final kind of like catalyst, I guess? I got my license actually my senior year of college. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, I, I, it was still the same thing. I realized I have, uh, I always have a lot of stuff going on because then I was um, writing articles for wide open spaces to basically pay my rent. Uh, I was selling deer pee to help pay for college. And then I was like, I'm just going to get my real estate license. And then so I went through the, <laughs> Why not? the course. Yeah, <laughs> I went through the coursework and I, I failed the twice. I failed the test twice because I had all these other things on. I had a, a heavy level of coursework and I took my you know studies very seriously. And then uh, I buckled down. I said, okay, it's time to like really study. I, I read the, the real estate, you know, handbook that I would have read the first time I would have passed it the first time, but I had to do it my way. <laughs> right. And then, so I got my license and I really didn't do too much. <clears throat> Obviously I was, you know, 22 years old, did not do too many transactions the first, you know, maybe one or two a year. And then really the last two years, uh, moved back to, to where I was growing up and it's just been really busy. And I guess that evolution has just been, um, talking when you, when you're in it every single day and you're talking to, you know, customers of Exodus, or you're talking to people that are, you know, reaching out and, you know, whatever the case may be, it's like that deal flow is just so natural, um, and unforced. And that's where it's just kind of, it's really taken a, a course of its own. And I think that, um, I plan on having my license for the, my entire life. So that's the approach that I have of, it's like, I want to do everything the right way. I don't want anyone to, you know, say I'm slime ball or anything like that. And, you know, do things the right way, you know, right. You're playing, the long, you're playing the long game. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I plan on living here and I do not want to be the the hermit. That's like, can't go to public. Cause they're like, Hey, you know? that guy sold me a lemon, you know? Yeah. yeah you don't exactly. want to be, you owe me the town used car salesman for sure. No, not at all. And so, uh, it's just been really good. And it's like one deal leads to another. And then, you know, like it, it's just kind of, uh, it's just naturally happened. I don't know. It's, it's right. naturally, it's naturally to me, but I, it's been a lot of work too. It just does not happen overnight at all. Right. And any good thing is it's built on a good and you're building it on a good foundation. I'm just curious, you know, how much, you know, did, you know, did Exodus and just like some of the visibility that you have through the, through the company in general, was that, 
I mean, I'm sure that was helpful from a standpoint of like, you were already part of a reputable company. They Mm -hmm. knew your face maybe from that. So there was like a level of comfort. People had work, you know, reaching out to you because of that. For sure. Yeah. There's been some of that. And then it's like some people, it's almost taboo in the real estate world to say you have another job. And so it's like, there's other times where it's like, you have to read the person. Like if they're a diehard whitetail person, happy to divulge that. And most of the time they know of Exodus or they're at least familiar with the name. And there's other times where, you know, someone that I do not, I just don't think that they'll have a clue, like anything about Exodus. I just, I don't mention it because there's like this stigma. It's like, okay, well, if you're doing this like full time, quote unquote, then like, how do you have other job and vice versa? And reality of it is it's, it's nights and weekends. Cause that's when people are available to look that's at properties and yeah. talk about them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So before we jump into hunting specific stuff, you know, we were, we were talking just before we started recording, you know, you're, uh, we have a pretty tight knit group of friends, so to speak, you know, and mm-hmm. I work in marketing and advertising and you're one of my, my buddies who's in the outdoor space who also obviously works in marketing and advertising. So few folks I get to nerd out with when it comes yeah. to, you know, business and marketing stuff. Um, and we, of course, and I wanted to talk to you really bad whenever the, this all kind of happened, you know, and just, you know, unfortunately mm-hmm. we were trying to schedule and get this on, but, you know, we had the whole demonetization YouTube kind of fiasco that happened however many kind of weeks ago. And it seems like for now, at least everything has been kind of, the ships have been righted to a degree. Yeah. Um, at least it's what I've kind of seen on social media or whatever the case is. What was, I have a kind of point of view on it, but what was your, what's your point of view on the whole demonetization scare, where you think things are headed? What, how do you safeguard yourself against those things? If you're a brand that that's what you rely on. Yeah. I'll, I'll break that down. So I guess the, first thing of uh where do i think or what did i think of it well we've seen that in the gun space that happened with the gun space earlier and a lot of those people just started a brand new channel that was that had no guns they still kept their their gun channel and like it was a form of still like their top of their funnel to get people to their new more monetized channel because Mm -hmm. yeah they would still put content there but they would not make you know necessarily any money at all and then they started fresh and maybe since they already had a big audience they pivoted and so that was my first thought was like, well, for hunting, that would be a little bit more challenging, I think. And then, you know, where do I think it's going? I don't know. I mean, I would, I would hate to bet against YouTube, honestly, like you have the Google backing. It's like one of the largest companies in the world. Now the hunting in the scope of YouTube and in the scope of Google is like literally a speck of sand. Like it's, yeah, it's, they they could squash that. Like they could eliminate all that and they would not even feel any. uh, Yeah. It would not even show up on their bottom line. Well, and I, and I think that, and then, then again, I was like, well, you know, it seems like all these other companies are just now figuring out YouTube. And like, I see a lot of ads from the outdoor space that are actually getting ran on uh, some of these channels, which is interesting, Mm but I, I'm still like very bullish on YouTube and I don't think anything's going to happen. But now as a creator, like a pure, like for us, we have a channel, we put out a ton of content. We have a great team that does a lot. Like we would not be able to do without the team we have in place, but it's also, we have a product, like we're a product first company, right. like we're all about educating, but we're not making money. Like we're not paying the bills with a YouTube ad revenue. <laughs> right. Right. So now, like someone like, you know, some of these other creators, I would be building up my email list, like no other. And, and I think that's kind of happened. I mean, I've seen seek one started a e-course, which has been in the process for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then you look at, I think THP just started a, a course as well. And so you see those kind of pivots. And then the other question of it is too, it's like with other like network television, you had to pay to get on there. Right. And then you sold those spots and like, here's YouTube, not free distribution. They pay you to distribute. And then you get the most eyeballs. Like to me, even if they took away the ad revenue, like it's still, it's, it's all about like the top funnel, like deal flow, like you're getting eyeballs and you don't have to pay for the distribution. Like go on the pursuit channel and drop 20 grand. Like, yeah, that's so antiquated. Like, so to me, I'm sure it was a scare and I'm so glad our business model is not based on that. But if, if I were someone in that, that position, I'd be taking a real hard look of like, how do we diversify? How do we bump our merch game up? How do we produce a product that people would like? Um, and yeah, you know, cause those are the, those channels are businesses. Like that's not, well, that's just it. That's <laughs> the part that would like make me, that would make me nervous. You know, if I were, if I were them, the handful of them, that that's their, that's their business model, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know. I've mentioned on the podcast before, like my background is I work, I, I'm a digital strategist. That's what I do for a living. Right. And so mm-hmm. it's all about the ecosystem and what you have kind of set up. And like, that was a, you and I have texted back and forth before mm-hmm. yeah. about like, dude, the email list is King. Like if you, if you don't always have that, been. yeah, it yep. always, always will be. I mean, that's like your, 
those are those are your hand raisers that you can rely on that'll support you whether it's a product or viewing something mm-hmm. or listening to something or whatever whatever the case is. I certainly think you know same as you if you're a product company and that's kind of what you're built on then I think you have a little less to worry worry about because YouTube is an aspect of how you get eyeballs to your ultimately to mm-hmm. your product and the revenue from YouTube kind of offsets like the content creation production costs and stuff like that you know some like, travel costs yeah. some, some manpower yeah and yeah. It, it, that's great it's wonderful but if that went away we would still be doing the same thing right like, right because it's feeding crucial. a larger beast you know what exactly. i mean the ones that are just straight creators as a as a business those are the ones that i get concerned for they cuz they have to pivot and turn into a product product company at some point right and then, well, what is that product, right? Like, there's only so many like e courses and stuff like and that that you're gonna it's that hard are gonna too. buy. Yeah, exactly. It's hard. It's like if you're going to go into like a manufacturing thing, that's a whole different kind of avenue. And do you have the skill set to do it? Do you mm-hmm. have the capital to put up to like to launch it, get it off the ground? Do you have the capital to bring in the right talent or resources if you don't innately have those skill sets to do that mm-hmm. with you? You know what I mean? It's like so it becomes a whole different thing. And I started thinking about if you wanted to keep just the content aspect of it. You have to start then thinking about it as like, you know, no longer is it, are you going to be a successful. I mean, you can now, but if YouTube were to say, yeah, we're not doing, we're, we're demonetizing all hunting or whatever, mm-hmm. you would have to then kind of think about if you were still going to have your content be your product. It's like you now have to create the eco, the ecosystem that to your point, it's like where YouTube is like still your quick hits and bits and information. And then there's a premium content section that is behind a paywall of some sort that you, Mm -hmm. that you would use YouTube to get people, people to. Right. And it becomes like, you know, seek one because they're the ones that this was the most obvious that it happened to. It's like, okay, you have the YouTube channel, which is your feeder. And then you probably have like a website or an app or something like that where your premium content is. And then you probably need to start a podcast as well. Yeah. And you probably need to like, so you have to kind of create this ecosystem around Mm -hmm. you now and it has to be an omni-channel kind of orchestrated messaging kind of approach to where you have a clear digital strategy and a clear content strategy for each one of those channels because they're each pulling different levers for you. And I was Absolutely. like, that is regular product businesses that have have relatively good budgets still struggle with that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was like, because it's it's not it's not easy. You know, it's easy to write to whiteboard out and map out, but to execute it, that's the hard part. Hundred percent. And yeah, I think. And I'm curious. I don't know how well the the paywall video stuff would work because you look at. I don't know either. Yeah. Because you look at some of these. I was talking to a friend about this, and like some of these larger podcasts, and you look at how many Patreon signups they have. Like, I assume they're getting five to seven thousand downloads per episode. You know, right. large larger podcasts. And they have forty Patreon. Yeah. So clearly, people you know, like so like that. That percentage is extremely low, and now if so, that would be my concern. My I guess my whole thought would be like email email list is king and and yeah pivot because that's i mean the internet has only only changed it's yes. only going to keep changing so exactly. don't be surprised when youtube you know i don't think youtube's going to go away here uh in the next like four or five years but in the next 15 years we're probably gonna be talking about something completely different that's <laughs> that's like, just it yeah yeah or it's youtube just 2.0 you know what i mean or whatever it is where yeah. it's like they 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 just changed the, the platform because I mean, if you pay close attention, you can see platforms do that. Cause they start, they start incentivizing behavior, you know? Yeah. And it's just like the way Facebook did at first, it was just text. Well, they wanted to move to imagery. Right. And so they started the algorithm changed to where they prioritized surfacing anyone who posted an image with text. And then yeah. when video became the <laughs> next thing, they, the algorithm changed and they prioritized and gave more reach to anyone who was posting video content versus image in text or just text. And yep. so these platforms, if you pay attention, you start to see like whenever certain things become, you know, the, like all of a sudden your numbers jump, you're like, well, why'd your numbers jump? Well, take a look at your content, yep. like, or like the type of medium you're using, like did that change? And if that changed, there's probably a pretty good chance that they're looking for you to do something specific and they're going to, uh, you know, subtly incentivize you to do it by giving you that dopamine drip of more numbers. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Wait, yeah. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. We so. can get down that, <laughs> that rabbit hole for, for forever. But yeah, anyway, let's do another hard transition here, man, to, uh, sure. to hunting. So, you know, we'll get to, we'll get the scrapes and stuff here in a second, but how, uh, just in general, man, how are your, how are how was your summer inventory in general? And then what are your prospects looking like after the, you know, after the shift and transition and all that stuff. Summer inventory has, was a little bit delayed. I had 
I would had about 25% of my cameras out in comparison to years prior. Uh, and I would say the month of July and like the first two weeks of August. So kind of just absolutely slammed, like just so busy. And I hate to say that cause it's all about priority. Well, summer inventory was not a top priority because I had right. other things going on. And so I deployed all of them. I think by the second week of August found some really solid bucks in velvet, um, on some smaller parcels. And then, um, you know, like rolling in here, it's October 15th right now. It's weird. I don't, I was just talking yesterday. I was just talking about this. I don't think I have as many like top tier, like prospects in comparison hmm. to like the last four years. Now, we'll talk about during scrape week, but that usually changes in about 10 days. Right. Uh, but no, I, I have some bucks to hunt. I'm super happy. I don't have like the, I'm not obsessed over a deer right now. There's two deer that I will be obsessed about as soon as I get a picture of them. And I know they're alive, but for me, it's like, I'm not burning that mental bandwidth right. until I feel like I really need to. But um, yeah, I have nothing to complain about. I mean, th things are good. Things are solid. There's some good bucks to chase. I noticed a lot of deer didn't necessarily make like a, as much of a jump as I would, thought or anticipated mm -hmm. there's two deer that come to mind that like almost look identical from four to five hmm. okay. uh so that yeah. that's kind of what i've seen and there's two deer that i know that did make really big jumps but overall i'd say like growth felt a little bit below average right now those two that you said you won't be excited about until they show up here potentially in like the next 10 days or so um <clears throat> is that is that pretty standard for those deer specifically that you typically don't see them much until until you start to get a little you know a little later in the year so to speak um, well, once <laughs> with threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Without saying too much, yeah, one, yeah. Of them, one of them is uh, I have a new farm that I have access to that I think where I know that deer has summered uh, right, in the okay. past. Um, just local hearsay. Yeah. And I know my gut feeling says that he'll probably show up on a, on a scrape here like in the next, hope, and if he doesn't show up in the next 10 or 12 days on that farm, I'm mentally kind of writing him off. Um, right, right, yeah. Because I think that's, if he doesn't show up then, then um, it's just not going to happen. Now, I right. got access to that farm later in the summer. So, like, ideally, I would have hopefully got a velvet picture of him, but that didn't happen. And then this other deer showed up in velvet. I have no clue who he is. He was in a bachelor group, and he was caught my caught pure attention. attention. Yeah. Yes. And so, he was in there. He was in the bachelor group, I want to say, one night. It, oh, wow. It, okay. it, yeah, it was very weird. And it was, it's very strange because for whatever reason, I had a, a cell camera there and, uh, it was like a old food plot from last year. And a lot of it came back volunteer this summer mm -hmm. and the deer were just absolutely demolishing it. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, it was drawing deer from all over the place and there was a super solid bachelor group. My gut feeling is he'll show back up during the rut. Um, or at least hopefully here pretty soon. And I don't know, it's that October 24th, 25th. It's like a lot of those deer like the historical data I think is most eerie during that time of year, in my opinion. But yeah, that's, those are the two deer. I don't know for sure what's going to happen, but I best believe I have every feeler idea <laughs> thought in, in place here. Cause I, I do not want to screw up the opportunity if, uh, if they're there. Yeah, no, that's a good approach, man. Not burning the mental bandwidth on things that you can't control quite yet at the moment. You know what I mean? Cause I, I've tried to do a better job of that this year where I did hunt some some early in the in, in the year my season comes in like mid-september so i did get out a little bit a morning here or there when we had like a nice temperature drop or whatever whenever i saw some cell cameras start to pop of just bucks traveling kind of catching them as they're transitioning or as they as they've kind of shifted their ranges or whatever some seeing a couple new guys or whatever so to speak and thinking all right i think i know where they're bedded they're using this particular area it's really really easy access as far as low profile it's basically a, a kayak spot you know so i can basically go in and i walk 10 yards and I'm in a tree type of thing, you know? So oh, it's nice. like, it's low impact. So I can hunt that a lot, you know, if I wanted to. And yeah. so I did a couple morning hunts there, you know, and, uh, but I have a, and I shared some stuff with you. There's a couple yeah. that I have my eye on, you know, that I've been Solid, kind of watching. Yeah. Yeah. yeah really and, nice. uh, and I've just, uh, 
In years past, I probably would have went in like my underwear on fire trying to kill, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, but this year, especially, it's made it a little easier because the weather, especially this past week, hasn't been great. You know, it's been mm-hmm. a little warm. Um, and so I've managed to be patient this year and I've not been in. I went in, I did one hunt uh, when I knew he, that particular deer was uh, kind of in the area and I knew kind of what wind he liked. And we were getting a switch to that wind like that day. So I actually went in on an evening and hunted him on, you know, that particular day. But I really went in and hunted him because I wanted to, I needed to map out new access. And mm-hmm. I was like, all right, I need to go in in daylight. I mean, I'm familiar with the area because I've hunted it before. But I was like, the way he, that deer is moving, the way I'm seeing him, you know, I started, and we, we'll talk about video in a second, and that was something I picked up more specifically from you. Mm-hmm. It helped me understand how he was accessing this, this, this scrape, essentially. And mm-hmm. based on what I was seeing on that, I was like, if I use the same access I'm using, I was like, I'm, I don't know that it's going to be good for me. You know, and so I was like, I might need to change some things up. I actually talked to our buddy Greg Litzinger about it. We actually got we actually got on a map together and looked at it and was like, you know, trying to think about where he's might be bedded and what my access needs to be. And so I actually just went in and mapped out my access. And that hunt was like I was like, there's a thirty percent chance I'll kill him on this hunt potentially. Mm-hmm. But I need to know how I'm getting in and out of here. That way I'm not bumbling around whenever it's when it's go time. You know, and so that was really what that was for, you know, is to, to map that out. So yeah. But, uh, you know, are you, are you a morning you know, for, so for October, you know, and I know you like, are you, are you a morning guy, an evening guy, or just like, I ain't getting out of bed unless like I have something super consistent. So I, I, I this year I've transitioned into, I've always been a, a morning person. And then there was a stint where I wasn't, I was more of a night owl and now I'm back to being a morning person. So I get up at four forty five every day now mm-hmm. and part of that's just from being busy <laughs> so right you right. got more stuff to get done just wake up earlier and right. so from a hunting perspective i i don't typically like the month of october i really don't hunt that many mornings in october here in illinois it's like larger ag fields and i feel like access is really challenging um last year the first morning i hunted was october 20th and i did have an opportunity with a buck that i wanted to try to shoot you just it was 80 yards and just didn't happen mm-hmm um, it's, I have not hunted. I honestly I haven't even hunted yet this year. It's October 15th. Really? <laughs> Tonight's going to be the first night. Oh, is so, it really? Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of where I'm at in terms of like more, I guess the end or like later part of October, early part of November, like then I'm, I'm, I'm hunting a lot in the mornings. Um, right. If, if permitted and I have a, a good feeling that it's, you know, worth the risk, but honestly it's, it's hard. Like access in the morning, I feel is really challenging with a lot of the farms that I hunt. I don't have like that bulletproof access on, um, on a lot of the ones I spend a lot of time with. So yeah, I always like, and I've li- like same thing, like listening to other people, like, well, they wait till daylight and they, they slowly go in. That just feels like everything against I've ever been taught. <laughs> <laughs> I know, man. It's like, I, I'm the same, like, same way, but I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like I started using that more so because of freelance hunting a lot. Like to where mm-hmm. it's like, I, I just can't go in in the dark. I have, I'll have no clue where I'm ending up, you know? Yeah. And so, especially then. Yeah. And so for that reason, I just started getting a lot more, a lot more comfortable with it. And the other thing is too, is like, if I know where I think deer are supposed to be getting in either before they get there or getting in after they get there, either is fine. Cause I'll either kill them on the way in mm-hmm. or I'll get the opportunity to kill them when they're on the way out. You know, so I just need to meet, I just needed the priority for me is just being in there without them knowing that I'm in there, regardless of what time I do it, you know, because I'm going to set myself up where I think I'm going to have a a shot opportunity regardless, Mm -hmm. you know? So, but I used to struggle with that too, where I was like, man, it's cracking daylight. I'm not in my tree, you know? Yeah. You feel like you're late to the party. (laughs) Yeah. And what I've realized is like a lot of times I wasn't, you know, it's like a lot of times I'd get in my tree and then all of a sudden it'd be like nine o'clock and a deer comes strolling through, you know what I mean? Where it's sure. like, I've already been in my tree for like two hours. Cause I got in it like at gray light, you know, snacks all gone. <laughs> snacks are all gone. I already, already peed once, you know, it's yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. Oh man. But yeah, so I, I, I kind of teeter on both. It's like, I, I'll let the deer kind of dictate. And that's where the cell cameras for me have really kind of come in handy. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. this, this one particular deer that I shared with you, <clears throat> he seems to be way more active in the morning. Like he's already started cracking like gray light. Like I've gotten oh, yeah. pictures of him in the past, probably in the past seven days, I guess like two different times where he was at like six fifty eight and seven Oh four, like where he's Pat, where he's hit a scrape or whatever. So mm-hmm. I'm like, and there's a really pretty dense canopy in this area. And I'm like, I probably need like 10 more minutes to have like legit 
like shooting light, like good shooting, decent shooting light. Yeah. So I've just, but it's like, it, it, to your point, I don't like to hunt mornings typically in October, but I'm like, if this dude's telling me he's a morning guy, sure. You know, then figure out a way that if you can. Yeah. 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 You know? Yeah. So man, I want to talk about scrapes cause we've alluded to it a couple times. Um, mm-hmm. You know, scrapes are, I know one of, it might be one of your favorite things, not just related to deer, but maybe in the world in general. <laughs> it's up there. Top five for sure. Right. But I want to start, you know, kind of like, where did the fascination with deer start for you? And then ultimately where did the fascination, like how did that kind of parlay into scrapes? Yeah. I was born into an incubator for deer. I think <laughs> for like, uh, for, I, we, my family's very deer centric. We had a small deer farm, literally. I think they started basically from my earliest memory as a child, we've had deer forever. So like you grow up in that. Um, so I've always just really liked deer. Like I feel like the weird horse girl. Like I just, I like deer, you know, <laughs> but, right. um, can't articulate um, it. I just like deer. Yeah. Yeah. I've just always, they're, they're fascinating animals. They're really cool. Um, something that I've realized here later is like how blessed I am to actually have grown up in Illinois. Not to say that I grew up, I've, it's the best place in the world for deer, but it's a, you know, a, a really a good place. A solid place. Yeah. yeah. It's not Pennsylvania. It's not Michigan. And I'm aware of that um, here later. And part of that's traveling around and like getting a better perspective. So that's kind of where it's happened. And then um, I took, like I said, I took my studies like super serious during school, high school. And so I would hunt, but not to the recklessness of, of that. And right. then once uh, post-college is actually when I like, got really really into it and that's super thankful to have been able to start working with exodus and have a have a, a deployment of cameras that i could try to start learning things because before it's like you know i have three or four and you're trying to you know do the trying to piece work, a puzzle they, piece together like yeah. a thousand a thousand piece puzzle but you only got three to start yeah. with. yeah and then i think after the first year i was with exodus i may, maybe had like 10 cameras a year after that, i had like 17 or 20 and then it's like wow okay now we're cooking a fire and i'm learning a lot and so I would just like anyone curious trying to figure things out scrape. Okay. I want to see what bucks are hitting it. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty oblivious to what, like any strategy, like this is, I guess kind of purely born out of my own curiosity and, and own data here. And it just it started happening. Like, wow. You know, you, some people say scrapes are dumb, but like, here's this big buck hitting the scrape in daylight. Mm-hmm. And then it just kept happening. And I'm like, well, okay, well some of these scrapes are way more productive than other ones. And then, that is kind of the evolution of like once we started trail cam radio and talking to people and listening to different things, like start piecing like, so, okay, maybe that is why that's the case. And then I go back and I compare the notes like, Oh yeah, that does make sense in terms of like relation to doe bedding, the, the amount of mature bucks in an area that may have an overlapping range or maybe like competing for does. What is the deer population in that section? And you know, like the amount of does, does that make an impact on the amount of bucks that roll in in late October? And then it's like a pure numbers game. So like, those are the things that I just started to notice. And then it's like, from the hunting perspective, like, okay, when's the best time to kill one of these big deer? And it's like, well, honestly, probably right around that scrape week. And that's like, that's how we, we did that. And I think for a lot of people, people were waiting until November and someone that listens to your podcast probably isn't waiting until November, but I think a large majority of the population wasn't taking advantage of what I felt was one of, one of the best times to at least have a fun time hunting. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we started scrape week. And we went and talked to people who our diehard people and like have experience in that and like breaking down their late October strategy. And that's kind of the, the birthing of scrape week. And it's been so fun. It is, I think, um, I have an extra like, uh, hip to my step there. Cause it's like, Hey, like these, this, these are the best card pulls of the year, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, during that time here. It's, it's funny. Cause you know, from, you know, not just working with you and Chad, but you know, being friends with you guys, you know, I get the, the halo effect of the benefit of the data that you guys get just being mm-hmm. truthful. You know what I mean? Cause I'll be, I'll talk to you or I'll talk to Chad or I'll talk to Cameron or whatever the case mm-hmm. is. And we're always just like hunting buddies do. It's like, we're always swapping information stories, mm-hmm. what we're seeing and, and stuff like that. And it was, it wasn't a big surprise. Cause I literally, I was just on, I think I was just on your podcast on, on truck camera radio yeah. <laughs> this week with Chad. Yeah. I'm not sure when exactly that'll come out, but, and we were talking cause he was like, dude, he's like, you're, trail camera game like this year is like on point you know he was like Mm -hmm. you're getting big deer on camera consistently and it goes back to what you said where it was you know first couple years i had a few cameras and i was learning some stuff it's like once i got like an inventory it's huge it's so important i started kind of like 
the trends and like patterns start to pop out at you then, you know, mm-hmm. and you start to see things and like, you know, and it's just, it, it, you start to be able to qualify scrapes, you know, to me more quickly. It's like, you can now, yeah. I don't need a trail camera on one necessarily. And I can tell you with pretty good certainty whether or not it's going to be one that's going to be active in daylight or if it's going to be mainly at night, you know what I mean? Sometimes you still find those ones where I'll just take a flyer on and put a camera on it. Cause I'm like, eh, I'm not sure about this one, you know, and you're like, yeah. and let the, let the data tell you the story, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, it, it, and I used to be of that mind where it's, you know, I would wait to kind of like November and that's whenever I would, you know, hunt scrapes. But the reality was, is like, man, a lot of them are closed up by then or they become less active, you know? Yeah. And, and so well, and you become so much more effective in November by knowing what happened to them right. late October. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I agree with you. It's like, it's one of those things you were talking about. It's hard to, uh, break the habit of getting in before daylight type of thing, right. Going in with just a little bit of light. The hard habit for me to break is that I really, really want to start taking my time off that last week of October, you know, Mm -hmm. cause I feel like that 20th through like the 31st, you know, is like, is the money time to try to kill a big deer, like in and around a scrape because you're you're moving away from being able to bed hunt him at that point because he's going to get a little bit more active right Mm -hmm. and he's going to start to move a little bit more and he's going to start to check scrapes so that becomes a time like well okay now and he's off of food at that point like acorns are still kind of at play but he's now kind of starting to get on a mission of like i gotta start inventorying right Mm -hmm. and so at that point then like the primary kind of destination spots become particularly like those community scrapes, those places that are like outside of doe bedding or outside of like just general like bedding cover or, yep. you know, um, security cover or whatever the case is like they they almost replace the destination locations to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still haven't broke my ties yet with taking my trips in like November sometime. November, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think that's part of it too, is like hunting a lot of small parcels too. It's like, you have a pretty good idea where he's probably bedded mm-hmm. can't hunt it. Right. But guess what? You got a freaking giant community scrape and he's been in there in the summer and he's let you know that he's alive. And then yeah. he shows up maybe like the 15th, 17th or 18th or 19th at night. And then you're like, okay, well this next cold front between the 24th and 27th, 28th, like you need to be in there. Yeah. It, from, from what I've seen with a ton of cameras. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, and that's really when I talk about historical data from my cameras, that's <clears throat> a lot of times what I'm referring to is like the scrape data. You know, cause mm-hmm. I'm, I have one right now that I'm watching where he looks like he might be the same deer from last year. I can't hundred percent tell it's near this big community scrape last year. He hit it in, uh, he started showing up, uh, at night, like this week, like mid this week is around the 12th, 13th ish, something like that. And he hit it the same time this year. And then he daylighted for the first time last year, this coming weekend. So like between like tonight and yeah, between tonight and like Monday night, he'll hit it in daylight. I'm almost positive, mm. right? And so I'm kind of watching the weather's going to drop on Monday. So I'm like, mm, man, Monday and evening hunt. Like if I were going to pick a day, that would probably be the day. You know, it'll mm-hmm. fall within like the two day window roughly that he was in the area last year. You know, and so, you know, that to me, that stuff, especially this time of year, becomes like almost invaluable, that type of mm-hmm. information. Yeah, I yeah. totally agree with that. Yeah. And what you'll hear guys talk about too, like, I know I've talked to Litzinger about this is he's like, man, that 18th time frame, like 18th to 20th is like when you usually see big deer hit scrapes for like the first time, like in daylight, you Agreed. know, where, yeah. where you won't have seen them at all. Like maybe you got velvet, but yep. like they disappear kind of in a lot. And maybe not even then yeah. I've had where like, you don't even get them in velvet there, like on a licking branch. And then it's like, it is almost like clockwork, like the 17th to the 19th, 20th. And then it's like, okay, well they're alive and they're going to be back. And that was something I learned too. Because the old adage is like, scrapes don't mean anything. If they hit a scrape in the middle of the night, there's a 0.1% chance you're going to kill them. And I was like, and I I had that adage for a while. And then it's like, my cameras are saying something completely different. Like if they show up, then I'm going to have not necessarily an opportunity to kill them, but they will be working that in the daylight. I would bet almost anything on it. Well, that just, that rolls into like my next question. So it's like, it's qualifying scrapes. Cause I think that's what we really kind of get to. Right. Cause it's like, yeah. yeah, we all have had and seen scrapes or even hung cameras on scrapes where, you know, we were taking a flyer on one and it was like, yeah, they hit it at night, but it really got, if it got daylight activity, it was, it was younger bucks or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you know, those are things that are probably out in the open a little bit more. And I would say probably more scrapes of, I, I almost refer to those as pawings. Like, sure. uh, you know what I mean? A deer just laid something down and he happens to be going by. So I'm going to hit it 
but he's not, it's not a destination for him. You know what I mean? You don't so, have dose communicating with it really. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, how are you qualifying scrapes when you see them and how, you know, and how do you maybe like use different scrape setups differently potentially? Yeah. So some of the better ones I found were in postseason scouting. Um, <clears throat> and so that's one thing. The other one, something I always noticed too is, so I guess the first one is postseason scouting where it's like, you can tell not necessarily like how large the actual scrape is, but like, what is the proximity of to that scrape? And then like, what's going on in that area? Hopefully you hunted that area before or you have some sort of knowledge to really piece it together. So that's one thing that is somewhat qualifying. And then you can put a camera there in the summer. And if there's deer hitting it, then it's pretty fair to bet it's a community scrape and it's going to be a, a great opportunity. Now there's another farm that it was literally the only scrape I found on this farm and it was a community scrape. It was off the edge of bedding and the same thing, like the majority of velvet bucks were in there and it was like the scrape week action. And then like, uh, it went dead for a while. And then like the Brown, the eight, nine, 10th, 11th, 12th, like there were some bucks that filtered back in there. So that that's one thing. And then the other thing in terms of qualifying, I think is the amount of sign that's maybe around it. And it's mm-hmm. like finding the scrape amongst, many other kind of crappy scrapes that maybe only get hit, hit once or twice. And a lot of it too, is just from running 40, 50 cameras on a lot of scrapes too. Right. You just learn, you just yeah. learn. But the one of them, one interesting story in terms of like qualifying it. So I went down to the Southern part of Illinois and uh, Tyler and Casey from the Elmwood podcasters. And mm-hmm. then Anthony was there and I cannot remember the last guy's name, but he, but we, they picked out the spot. I had nothing to do with actually picking the spot, but we all walked it. And then Casey found a scrape and I was like, guys like this is it like this is you can kill a giant buck here at the end of october and they're like yeah whatever like you know i'm usually a pretty positive person so they're just like thinking i'm just like talking up a average situation <laughs> and then so they put a camera on it and then sure enough there's solid bucks that show up in the summer on on in velvet and then they uh tyler called me he's like it's october 17th we have a little bit of a front i think i'm gonna go up there i was like no just wait until the next front and they ended up first sit. They went there, got like 150 inch eight pointer on the scrape that I called it. Like they, they were the trigger man. Like they, they had so much more to do with it than what I did. But I said, this is the scrape. Like you guys figure out how to kill him, but like, this is it. Like I have no, he's going to, he's going to be here. Yeah. yeah. You guys figure out how, how to kill him, but like, he's going to yeah. show up. Yeah. yeah. So that was just one where it's like, it's almost like you just, you figure it out after time. Like you can just, you can just feel it. And yeah. Um, I thought it's, to teach that is get a lot of cameras in front of them. Yeah. And figure it out. I mean, it's, 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 you know, it, it, it's funny, but it's true, right? Like it's one of those things where that's like, you know, the, the way people use cameras, it's like, you need to use it as a, as a tool, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not like to learn, not a crutch, you know what I mean? It's like, cause I think a lot of people, if they get this discouraged with using cameras, it's because they kind of rely on them to hunt for them. Whereas mm-hmm. it's really just to kind of, help me see the patterns and help me qualify things a little bit better and more quickly. And then, man, I mean, that year over year data is just, I mean, it's just unbelievable. I mean, if you, if, if you're not a, uh, if you're not a, I'm just going to throw out random, like a Dan Enfault or a, geez, at this point, like a Jake Bush for God's sakes, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Who just kills big deer. That's what Jake Bush does. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're not, like that in tune with like hunting beds and stuff like that, that you can kill bucks in early October because you just true our form. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just like, and there's very few people that can, that can do that consistently. You know, I feel the best way to try to at least have good encounters and be in the right places at the right time on good deer is to run cameras year over year in the same spots, especially over scrapes and get that annual data to know when deer are going to, when scrapes are going to turn on like in mm-hmm. those spots you're hunting prime prime spots to me that is you know the uh i'll refer to myself as an average hunter that's the average hunter's way of putting himself in the chips more often you know what i mean yeah. you know because i feel like the other way i don't have time to spend in the woods five days a week like some people do and if they do man then more power too and that's how those guys are killing like jake kills big deer because he jake bush kills big deer because he just lives in the woods like he just spends puts in the work yeah yeah he spends more time than anyone i know probably he puts more miles on than anyone i know probably and it shows up because he kills giant deer like early in october you know well last year he killed one later but he had some really good encounters early but the other part of that is get your annual data from your cameras and make your plans kind of around that so you're so when you do when you are in the woods you're setting yourself up for high priority or high opportunity kind of sits essentially mm-hmm. so 
So mock scrapes, man. Yay or nay, yay or nay for you. What, what's your feeling on that? Uh, mixed opinion. Mixed um, opinion. Okay. Yeah, there's um, there's one that I made last year that um, biggest deal I ever got on camera ever, <laughs> and it was on a mock scrape. It was it. People would laugh. It was a field edge mock scrape, and they're like, okay, a field edge scrape. Those are worthless. But the issue was there's not a lot of cover in the area, and it was right next to the thickest cover where I had bumped bucks off that point before. Right. And so, and there's usually a resident buck in there. So I put a mock scrape right there and I got some of the best inventory there <laughs> last year that, out of all the scrapes, including uh, regular ones. And that's been a staple now, a camera right over right now. And I'm eager to see what bucks are showing up right now. Right. Uh, it's just a regular one. I don't have enough signal there. So that's one example of like putting a mock scrape in a very strategic location. Uh, mm-hmm. I do have a stand there. It's a very difficult spot to hunt. And then there's other ones where, um, it's just, it's mixed. Like I make mock scrapes. I made one yesterday actually, and I already had deer hitting it. And it's like, it's, it's just not as good as the community. Like, I feel like you can't create a community scrape. I've tried it. I just have not had it happen. That yeah. one from last year is an example. I wouldn't call it a community scrape, but it was a very high traffic one. And right. just, that was from terrain and the lack of cover, but there's thick cover right there. And it's like, check the boxes there. But mm-hmm. uh, to me, you cannot beat a community scrape. Yeah. Period. Yeah, I, I'm the same. The real there's nothing like the real thing, you know. That's yeah. kind of the, the my kind of opinion, and I've had kind of uh, varying degrees of success with mock scrapes as well, right? It, mm-hmm. It's uh, I've had some. There's one that I set in the Poconos that actually has has worked, but not. It's not getting like hammered. It's sure. I've I've been able to kind of locate a handful of really good bucks that have come through and hit it. It's almost like inventory. You know, mm-hmm. and I put it in a high traffic area that was in some cover. I knew deer were probably going to funnel through there, and they did. You know, and I and now I know who's in the area. But as far as like that being a priority for them, I don't sure. know. I am intrigued because I'm going to kind of use a new. Pro- I've all, often used the Jeff Sturgis process. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some type of like vine. You know, has kind of yep. been what I've done in the past, and I've used uh, Smokey's preorbital because Don Higgins uses that. I actually used it before mm-hmm. I knew Don did, and I found success with it, and. And Don kills big deer and he likes it. So I'm like, you know, he knows what he's talking about. One plus one equals two. Exactly. (laughs) So, but the other thing is too, is like some of these places like, you know, that I'm hunting certain areas are big woods. And so, you know, I wanted to talk to someone who hunts the big woods. And I think you guys might even have Troy Pottinger coming up on your podcast as well. Yeah. And, uh, and he has a really unique approach because he's hunting Idaho and like the biggest of woods, you know, with super low deer numbers. And that dude just kills the game with he's the go legit <laughs> yeah, legit scrape. creating yeah. mock creating yeah. community scrapes like he doesn't just create a mock scrape he creates a, a mock scrape that becomes a community the, scrape yeah. you know and so i've actually got some of his secret sauce uh oh, that, he, that, that he sent that he sent me um and i'm actually going to start building mock scrapes using his method and see if i and see if i get any type of different different reaction that's gonna be cool to follow for sure i think yeah that that could be huge. And to find a, to, to create a melting pot of bucks in an area with not a lot of defined movement. Yeah. That seems like a recipe for success. And he has definitely found plenty of success. The, yeah. the mock scrape I made last night is kind of interesting though. This farm, I have not found a scrape yet. I haven't poked around a ton, but like some locations where like, Oh, there should be a scrape there. There's not a scrape. So I made one yesterday. It's in between two uh, bedding areas. There's tons of old rut sign, like old rubs. And I put that mock scrape in there yesterday. And I, I feel pretty confident that should be solid given that there's no other scrapes. And like, this is the most lot, like from a textbook perspective, like, right. okay, bucks should be cruising between the two bedding, uh, bedding areas. It's, uh, you know, it makes sense. It's like downwind of, uh, the North wind for our the major food plot. Like it makes sense. Right. It'd be interesting to see. And, it it's, plays the, out that and way. it's the only game in town, you know what I mean? Right so, now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. And I was like, it's like, is there any bucks out here? Or right. <laughs> this place sucks. That's usually where there's a giant is what I've ended up finding out. Because like a lot of these deer that I'm seeing that are, that are hitting some of these scrapes, I mean, dude, I couldn't pay someone to find a rub anywhere. Uh, you know, like, and I've walked mm-hmm. all over the place. I've not. I mean, I've seen some small stuff, and it could be just full of me based on the size of deer that I've seen on camera and like the size, like the rubs I'm seeing, like they're not matching. But sure. I also know from hunting some big woods pieces that that often is is the case where it's like I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have been in places where I know there's a giant deer because I've seen him on camera multiple times. He's in the area and then the rubs look like a fork. He made it, you know, yeah. it's like I've seen that, you know. So um, last question, because I know we're running up on time here, but mm-hmm. 
I want to get a sense of like, cause this is something I've picked up from you and it's paid huge dividends for me so far at this point is how you're using cameras over scrapes. And that's essentially like, once I heard the story of how you, you killed your buck last year from Chad and what mm-hmm. you learned from like the camera, camera inventory, mm-hmm. which helped you kill that deer. It mm-hmm. changed my mind on how I kind of use my cameras over scrapes. Now, so you talked just a little bit about your scrape setups for cameras. Yeah. So they're all a little bit different. And I, I would love to say that every one of them is like, you know, elevated and angled perfectly and everything else. Um, but that isn't always the case. I guess what I always, 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 always do every single lift two I have is on video mode and it's not 10 seconds. Most of them are 25 to 30 seconds, which is, mm-hmm. it seems like a long time, but when you're watching them, I'm telling you, you get, you get so much more information. I just pulled the card a week and a half ago, I think. And it was a 25 second video and it wasn't on a scrape, but it was like, I had elevated and like, you get the top two times, like the two G twos mm-hmm. for the first like 10 seconds. And then like most people run their cameras for 10 seconds and maybe a five to 10 second trigger delay. Mm-hmm. But then he kept moving on and I got a perfect look at this deer that I've been waiting to show back up. And it's like, you get so much more with running the extra video. Uh, and here's the other thing too. It's only scrape week for one week. Like this, we've been waiting right. for this for so long. Like <laughs> if you complain about having to watch through long videos or like, you know, you're concerned about all these other things. It's only like, this is only, you can only make hay for the next four weeks. So like, right. Pony up and do it right. Right. <laughs> so. Exa- exactly. man. Well, that's the thing that I took from you. Cause I know last year, like you learned the demeanor from that deer hitting that scrape. Like, and yeah. You- so I think you're thinking, are you thinking that 10 year old I shot? Yeah, that crazy old okay. buck because yeah, he was yeah. getting his he was getting his butt kicked, yeah. and, and yeah. you would have totally screwed the pooch had you not seen that video yeah. on how you worked that deer to, to kill him. Yeah, exactly. And that and that I learned of that deer the year before on a scrape that had two mature bucks. He was one of them that overlapped, and that was the same exact thing um, where he showed up around the twenty fifth, twenty sixth at dark, and then he showed up. The only daylight picture I got of him in the year that season when I started hunting that farm was like the 14th or 15th, he was dogging a doe, but then he hits that scrape, the 26th. And then a larger buck to my demise <laughs> came in and worked that in Halloween. And then they were both MIA and I'm thinking like, Oh crap. And then I guess the proof in this is that second larger buck showed up around the ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th. He was in there chasing does and being a dumb buck for like that four day span. And the same thing with that deer I killed when he was nine, but I killed him the year after he showed up after in the later part of the rut. So like, it's not always late October. If they show up that later part of like the very last few days, of October, your opportunity is probably going to be in November from what I've seen. But then the year after I got videos of them, never velvet showed up October 24th <laughs> <laughs> and was just like haggard. Looked like got the hell beat out of them. And there was another, one of the largest body deer I've ever got on video right after looked like, Mufasa or something <laughs> right at <that> bottom <laughs> and then I ended up having an encounter with him and and bleed him bleed it fawn bleeded him in <laughs> to, to kill him and it's just like you could tell he was if you would have seen that like oh that's an old grizzled buck hit him with the meanest grunt you can he would probably went the other direction <laughs> right yeah if you would have tried to extinguish him as I know that's your <laughs> <laughs> I, it was these things I slid it down you slid, okay, okay. <laughs> you gotta give gotta give some love to the extinguisher but yeah it's yeah. and I've I've pick that up from from you because like you you do such a good job of like getting inventory on scrapes but not just that it was like it's running the video and that's what i picked up from you it's like i run i mean most all my cameras are usually over scrapes even in the summer whenever i'm getting inventory like looking for licking branches and stuff like that i will put it in a funnel or like a cut where i have a food source or something like that but i'm run i run a lot of times what i'll do early is i'll run it on regular just kind of image mode to like qualify Mm -hmm. the the spot you know make sure. sure i'm not getting a ton of false triggers then the first time i check it if i'm getting deer on it you know then i flip it to video mode because now i want to know how they're yeah. entering and exiting this one deer i have on this scrape like the thing that i've learned by watching a couple of different videos from him is that he seems like he's pretty aggressive like he comes mm-hmm. in and thrashes the licking branch like gets his antlers all in it you know basically peckers up stands real tall like you know and there's been a couple of deer kind of approach like the scrape while he's been in it and he's just kind of like peckered up give them a look, you know, and then they just kind of moved off. And then I've also got video of him betting in it. And so I'm oh, like, cool. I'm like, I'll have to send it to you, but I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, this is, is, this is his, I was like, you yeah. know, that's a deer in Pennsylvania that I don't typically call much in PA. Mm-hmm. I was like, I feel like that's a deer that would possibly respond to light time tickling. Wouldn't crack sure. him like I'm in Texas, but I was like, he's giving me all the body postures to tell me that he's 
he feels like he's dominant, even if he might not be the oldest deer in the woods. Yeah. He feels like he's the boss. Sure. You know. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, I, I if you're not running video on your cameras during this time of year, you're missing out on so much. It's funny. I uh, one of the neighbors I hunt. I I've been we've been fantastic neighbor, very open communication, um, like full open communication, at least on my end. And I'm sending these videos of deer that he has like crappy nighttime pictures of like on a field edge and he's like it looks like a good buck you know and it's like and i sent him the video it's like oh wow i didn't know he had a sticker there he had you know, <laughs> right right a fork yeah. fork brow time it's like exactly. beyond demeanor you can really tell what characteristic that yeah exactly yeah. as a as a term is, is that g2 really seven inches or is it 10 inches and like you can really get a better idea yeah well man i know we're up on time dude i actually got to jump into a, a work meeting but before we uh go let folks know where they can uh find out more about you where they can follow all the different things you've got going on where they can find where they can tune into the new land podcast that you have yeah. going on all that fun stuff yeah so you can find me on instagram at just jake hofer and you can find everything with exodus at exodusoutdoorgear.com we have we now have three podcasts for Exodus. We have Trocam Radio, uh, which Chad and I host, I guess you'd say, on Tuesdays. Um, I started a new project called The Land Podcast, um, and that goes live on Monday Mondays. And that's basically, that's been such a fun project in the sense of bringing first-time land buyers on there and just talking about the whole entire process. And I've gotten a lot of feedback in terms of like, wow, I was always curious how that worked. And so it's just kind of educating people in that process, bringing experts on there, because I've noticed the guy that's done 15 deals versus the guy that's done two, you know, like shark yep. and minnow right? <laughs> <laughs> and to, and to break that down. So that's uh that's a super exciting project and yeah, you can pretty much find everything on. If you go to one of the link trees at the end of uh, our podcast, you can, you can pretty much find everything you need to. Awesome, brother. Well, hey, dude, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, good luck to you here this October. I'll send you the picture of that buck uh, bedding in that scrape yeah. and, uh, I know we'll stay in touch here during the course of the season, but I look forward to see what you, seeing what you uh, what, what you got going on once you finally get into the timber. Uh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, brother. Thanks. All right, folks. That is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there too. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. Before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Spartan Forge, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skullbrew Coffee Company, and Maven Optics. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.